Understanding your yardages and how you hit shots is such an important part of the game. Distance control. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Let's tee it up. Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Data Access Golf, the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I, um, yeah, it's been really interesting. It's, it, it feels weird, doesn't it? We've got a, another major um, coming up this weekend. Um, which is so strange. Uh, we have the, and, and the, right, I mean, growing up your whole life, you've had the Masters, right? And then we, we never go right to the PGA. The PGA's always been the last one. And I guess it's been like 70 years since we've had the PGA in May. But anyway, just the new, right? We had the players, the Masters. Now we've got the PGA. It's, it's crazy how fast they're pumping along. Another interesting thing, I see that Tiger Woods is um, one of the favorites to win the PGA, obviously, with how he played in the Masters. I can't blame anybody for pulling, you know, pulling for Tiger or thinking he has a good chance. I'm just shocked that he, that he literally hasn't played since the Masters. Um, I, we know he's probably been working very hard. I, honestly, he didn't really play a whole lot before the Masters, so maybe he's learned that with his age and where he's at now and how to best deal with uh, all the surgeries he's gone through, that maybe rest is the best medicine for and the best preparation for a major. Um, we'll see. We'll see pretty quickly. I'm interested to see how uh, it looks like the weather's been pretty bad. The course is playing a little slow, soggy. It'll be interesting to see how it holds up. We also know that Beth Page Black, if you don't keep it on the fairway, can be quite brutal. And Tiger Woods was 47th, I think, in driving accuracy at the Masters. So, and hasn't really had very much control with his driver in in recent years. So it'll be interesting to see how he works it around. Obviously, he's won there previously. So, okay, it's going to be fun. It's going to be really fun to see how that uh, comes about. Uh, what I wanted to talk about today, I obviously uh, getting back into the game of golf. I, I mentioned previously that I was down in Phoenix. I was able to go out to the Raven Golf Club and play. I loved it. I played with uh, uh, now a very, a, a, what I consider a good friend. We had a great round of golf together, and we've, we've uh, messaged back and forth a little bit. Um, and we had a great time. But after, I hadn't played 18. I hadn't played my own ball. I played in a few scrambles here and there, just one. Over the course of 18 months, I played nine holes twice, once on July 24th. And once in January, I think, I went down and saw my buddy Jeff down in St. George. But that's it. I've played very little golf, and I have not played 18 holes in 18 months. And so you can get a little rusty. Fortunately for me, I had just been down in Carmel with uh, Fred Shoemaker and my marvelous, wonderful group of mastery uh, students. And we... You know, got to learn from Fred Shoemaker a bunch of cool stuff that I've, I've shared and will continue to share throughout the year. So I kind of got to hit some balls and kind of get back into it. Not in golf shape, folks. I mean, um, there's a reason I do a podcast and uh, am not a swimsuit model. Is that fair to say? I, I, I have a face for podcasts. And so, yeah. Anyway, so 
That all being said, I'm, I'm not in great shape. Um, I struggled, I'll be perfectly, I struggled through the three days of hitting a million balls. I hit by far the fewest out of anybody there. And I'm, I'm usually, I usually hit around probably the second most. Um, you can't beat Hide. He pumps them out there really. <laughs> Our good buddy Hide hits a lot of balls. He likes to, uh, he likes to get his money's, money's worth on the range. So anyway, all that being said, uh, I did get some time on the range. I did get to go out and play a couple holes. Um, and so I wasn't completely like not ready to play 18 holes. Uh, I, I, you know, had a pretty good warm up. I landed in Phoenix, got over the course, got warmed up. And then we went out to play. Uh, Myron and I were out there playing. And, um, but I noticed very quickly that uh, <laughs> over the course of 18 months, I had to really think hard to remember my yardages, um, and uh, which I think is hysterical because they've become such so you know just second nature to me. But I remember I, you know taking out my um, my rangefinder and boom hitting eighty nine yards and going I have no idea. I, what and finally went back into the memory banks and remembered okay that's like a you know a three quarter um, you know fifty six degree for me. Right. I mean, a full 56 degrees, about 105 yards. So, right, you just kind of work it out in there. Anyway, so that was a, a very interesting round. So that's been definitely on my mind. And as I went through the round and played a little bit more golf, uh, the memory started coming back. And finally, I had my numbers back. Obviously, we are playing. Uh, we're not playing at elevation like we do here in Utah. We're playing down at closer to sea level in Phoenix. And, uh, but it was warm. And I've definitely noticed that uh, I play a lot of golf here in uh, at Provo, but I also play a lot of golf down in St. George. And St. George is typically 10 to 15 degrees warmer. So the elevation and the temperature change usually kind of balance out. So I really didn't have to make a lot of adjustments between the two places. But uh, I definitely have to do, have, definitely had to do that down in, uh, in Phoenix. So we were... Uh, out there playing, I was working it, I was figuring out, trying to get there. By the end of the round, I felt somewhat comfortable that I had at least an idea what, what you know, how to hit my clubs. Now, I don't, I know that there's a lot of different ways to do this. I, I've played a, a lot of golf in my life, so I just know them. And I, and when I change sets or change shafts, that can change and, and affect distance control a little bit. You'll notice that each a set of clubs, um, they might have the, uh, loft a little bit different from club to club and you just kind of have to work your way through and figure that out and shafts definitely make a huge difference as well so anyway I've got that all down I'm thinking about it but I've read a lot of different books if you read like uh, uh, Pels Pels will have you write down you know numbers and actually tape them on to each club so you can kind of see if it's a you know a full wedge if it's a three quarters wedge if it's a half wedge you kind of have an idea of how far you would hit each one of these clubs and then you don't have to remember them at all i don't uh, i don't subscribe to that i don't believe in that kind of uh in in that kind of uh documentation i guess just because it seems to take away a little freedom and so I wanted to get into that a little bit. What is the best way to go and figure out your yardages? A lot of us go to the range and we'll try to hit range balls and figure it out based on targets that we have out there. Unfortunately, range balls typically um, suck 
right? They're the worst. Um, they're not trustworthy. They've got cracks, and, and, and they're just not real golf balls. I, I know that at Riverside we hit limited flight balls. They're just not the best way to go, right? I've definitely used some. I've got a, a little flight scope Mevo little guy right here that I've taken out. I've definitely used some swing, uh, swing caddies as well and taken those out. Um, and, and they're a little more helpful because they just start with a ball flight and velocity, initial velocity, and they don't really care what kind of ball you hit. So those are a little bit more helpful. But honestly, the best way to really figure out your yardages is when you're on the course and you're hitting full shots and you hit a good shot and you know where the pin is, you've had a radar detector, you've dialed it in, just keep track of your approach shots and just write them down and keep track of them, track of them for a few rounds. You'll start to figure it out pretty quickly. And th those are real numbers. You're playing real balls. You're, you're playing your clubs. You're really trying to dial it in. You'll also kind of start to realize um, if you come off a shot or not, if you, if you back off a shot, if you aren't swinging full, it's a really good exercise. So definitely go about figuring out your yardages on the course. Now, there are definitely opportunities if you go to high-end courses where they have track man and real balls and everything set up where you can dial in your clubs that way. That's great as well. I've, I've definitely enjoyed doing that in the past. It's a way to figure it out very quickly. But if you don't have access to that, and most of us don't, uh, figure out your yardages on the course. That's really the best way to do it. And that brings me to the next point. And I thought this was pretty interesting. I, I saw today in one of my feeds in Instagram that uh, it was PJ Tour had published a photo of Brooks Kepka's stock yardages. And so I'll refer, if you go to pgatour.com, they've got it on there. Um, actually, if you just, if you go to pgatour.com's, um, it looks like it's on their, oh, it's their Facebook page. If you go into the Facebook page, they've got a, a, a photo of it there. It's very interesting. He's got obviously his uh, one wood going 310 yards if he hits it full. But then it's pretty interesting because he's got, uh, he's got three columns, at least for um, one wood through pitching wedge, where he has a three quarters, a full, and a max yardage. Okay, and then when you go down, he's got his um, his sand wedge, his lob wedge, and his M wedge, which I'm not um, middle wedge. I don't know. Anyway, mid wedge. I don't know. MW though. Um, anyway, so he's got, and then he's got a small, medium, three quarters, full, max. Okay, so this goes kind of along the lines of what a Dave Pels kind of teaches, where you. Keep track of your yardages. He has it here in his yardage book. Um, it's always with him. It's in his back pocket. So he can look to see all the yardages. And it was really interesting for a three-quarter pitching wedge, 136 yards. A full pitching wedge is 148 yards. And a, a, a max, which is, I guess, going at it hard, is 153 yards. So those are his yardages. He's got them all sort of laid out there. And then, interestingly enough, for his, and I'll just look at his sand wedge, uh, for a small sand wedge is 76 yards, yards. A medium sand wedge is 86 yards. A three-quarter sand wedge is 100 yards. A full sand wedge is 119 yards. And a max, a max sand wedge is 126 yards. So he's got five yardages tied to this particular club, the sand wedge. Okay, great. 
He knows what those are. This is where, this is where I think we kind of have to be careful. There is a risk. When you take all the numbers down like this and you write them down, that you become a very uh, conscious-minded player. And playing with your conscious mind is a disaster. It's not good. Um, our conscious mind, I've talked about it before, our conscious mind is a horrible golfer. It tries to control everything, and it's not smart nor quick enough to, to make adjustments, proper adjustments, to play good golf. It just isn't. The best golf we ever play is from a subconscious place. And again, I don't, you can call this, uh, there's a variety of different ways to call this. Some people call it being up in your head. That's what I would say is a conscious golfer. Um, uh, being in the zone would be a subconscious place. Uh, that's just kind of how, uh, being a, a, you know, a, a physical golfer versus a spiritual golfer is another way I like to talk about it. My kids really understand it that way based on their upbringing. Um, so that, that's kind of how we have to look at it. If you're a physical golfer where you trust your body is the best tool, or if you're a conscious golfer and you believe your mind and, and the physical side of it, it's the best way to go, you're wrong. I don't know what else to say except uh, you're just flat out wrong. Uh, golf is too difficult to play it with a conscious mind, to play it well. You can play crappy golf with a conscious mind, and that's what most people do. But until you figure out how to play a, you know, a, a spiritual side or a subconscious side and use your subconscious to play golf, you will never play good golf. You will just play conscious crappy golf, which is fine. It's still gorgeous and beautiful and the sun shines great. There is plenty of enjoyment out there playing conscious golf just because it is golf. The greatest game in the world, period. But if you want to play really good golf, if you want to tap into what your gifts are, if you want to perform and hit really magical, wonderful shots, if you want to score well, if you want to make long putts, if you want to hit close approach shots, that has to be done from a subconscious or spiritual place. It just does, right? That's the side of us that can help us walk, talk, breathe, um, jump without thinking and trying to consciously control anything, walk, Right? That's the subconscious side. It can do like a million things at one time without even trying, right? With half a brain tied behind its back. Our conscious mind, right? As soon as you start talking and thinking about walking, you're going to fall. As soon as you look down and see the steps, you're going down, right? That's, that's just how it is. And I don't, I mean, I know there, there's people that disagree with me. I don't care. I don't care taking on everybody in the conscious realm and tell you you're all wrong. Period. So, going back to Brooks Kepka's thing, I love the fact that he has, I have no problem with the fact that he has all his yardages written down. I think it's great. I'll tell you right now, I would have loved to have something like this written down. It, sh it would have been great if it had just been in my golf bag and I could have pulled it out and reminded myself how I hit all my clubs. It would have been great. But then I would have done this if I was implementing something like this. I would go out, and, and this is how most people would... Most people won't do it this way, right? If, I, if most people had this book, they would look at this and go, okay, a three-quarters sandwich goes 100 yards, right? That's my stock shot. That's obviously Brooks Kepka's stock shot, but let's just say, for example, that's our stock shot. A three-quarter swing 
with a sandwich is 100 yards. Okay, cool, great. So what would we do? We would line up, we dial in the target, we'd get ready to go, and then we'd put a swing on the ball and we would use our conscious mind to try to stop the club at three quarters way back. You, you know that that's what would happen with most folks, right? We all know it. We would try to stop the club three quarters back. Now, there's a lot wrong with that. First and foremost, we're using our conscious mind and it's a terrible golfer. That's first and foremost. Not to mention the fact that we have no, most of us have no idea what three quarters is. And we've tried to, if we've tried to figure it out, uh, again, we've videoed so many people and told them to hit a three quarter swing and they go all the way back that it's unbelievable. Like we have really no idea where this club is. As soon as it disappears behind our back eye, it's lost in space for most of us. There is no awareness back there. So then trying to use the conscious mind to stop the club at some place where you have absolutely no idea where it is anyway is madness. <laughs> it's terrible. Okay, so here's, here's a better way to do it. Okay, so we look here and we say, okay, a stock three-quarter sandwich is 100 yards. What I would do and what I would recommend everybody do is take a few practice shots watching your club go back and stop at three quarters and get a feel for what that is. Go back and feel it, go back and feel it. Three quarters, okay. Couple practice swings, three quarters. Get that feel, okay. Now, now I address the ball and I get ready to go. And here's the trick. I'm not going to try to force myself to swing three quarters. I'm not going to consciously tell myself to swing three quarters. That's not how it works. All I'm going to do is focus on the target, be, be really connected with the target, and I'm going to swing the club, and I'm going to, after I get done with the stroke, with the swing, I am going to compare that swing and the feel of that swing to my practice swing and can compare the difference. That's how you learn. There is no benefit to trying to consciously stop the club at three quarters and hit a golf ball to go up into your head, to be a, a physical golfer, to be a conscious golfer, that's disaster. There, there's no way to learn that way. There is no learning when you're in your conscious mind, none. You can only really learn for something that's long-term, that stays with you forever, if your subconscious is doing it and experiencing it. And so what we do then, we can use our conscious mind then to help us compare between the two the two feels and maybe try to identify how they felt different. Was the swing shorter? Was the swing faster? Was the swing longer than my practice swing? And think about it that way. Obviously looking to see where the ball landed to kind of get some, uh, some idea as to why it was different, why it felt different. That's the way we learn. That's the way we can become very good golfers is by tapping into the power of the subconscious, the spiritual, whatever, and trying to distract, uh, avoid the conscious side of golf. And so that, that just seemed really interesting to me. One, because of my experience at, uh, at the Raven, <laughs> trying to remember my yardages and hit a green every once in a while. That was, uh, it was very entertaining to try to figure that out and realize that I had forgotten uh, and then to see this from Brooks Kepka, this is really cool. I think it's awesome that Brooks would share this with us. I think it's cool that the PGA Tour would put it up so we can look at it. 
But when I saw it, I thought, oh my gosh, there's going to be so many people out there that look at this and think that Brooks Kepka is a conscious golfer. And I guarantee he is not. When he's got small, medium, three quarters full and max, he knows what those um, feel like. He is not thinking about those. He's taking a few practice swings to kind of get the feel, and then he's just letting it go on autopilot from a very subconscious place and letting it go. It is not a conscious thought that is playing golf out there using these numbers. Guaranteed. Nobody plays golf like Brooks Kepka and plays it consciously. Can't be done. Okay. So hopefully that's helpful. I thought it was really cool. Um, tomorrow we're going to do a little review on the, on, the, on the PGA Championship. Kind of have some picks before we go into Thursday. Pretty exciting to have another major going on. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, hopefully this was helpful. Please uh, send all questions, comments. Follow me on Instagram, Data Access Golf, uh, Facebook page, please. Um, or send a, a, put a comment or question here in the podcast, and I will definitely answer those questions. Until next time, this is Aaron Stewart saying thank you and better data for better golf. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Data Access Golf with Aaron Stewart. Check us out online at dataaccessgolf.com, and we'll see you on the next episode.